This is another episode of Legally Unfiltered. It's attorney Franz Borkart along with Richard Sprinkle. Um, we've got Charles Watson back for part two of our facts and fiction about forensics and firearms episode. This one is the facts and fiction uh, of firearms. Um, we're going to be talking a little bit about firearms uh, with Charles as well as uh, with uh, Richard Sprinkle. He is a, a Marine. You're always a Marine, right, Richard? Always. You're, he's Once a Marine, five. always a Marine. They're, they're going to talk about big firearms stuff, and I'm just going to sit here and listen. So. Yeah, I'm an accused gun nut. Um, I don't know if I believe that. I just really like firearms. Um, maybe it's because I was in the Marine Corps. I don't know. I grew up with a respect for them. I, I, I understand what they're used for. I understand their tools. But there are a lot of misconceptions that we encounter on a daily basis about firearms. Uh, I am a professed homosexual. Okay. And the... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, heard that one before. We'll holsters later, you know. <laughs> the uh, and firearms are one of the most misunderstood things anywhere. Sure. Uh, what you have is a, a a concept or a device that is heavily legally regulated. Right. And you have people who make laws about these items, and they don't understand what they are. You know, there's a whole lot of videos you can Google. They talk about the ask the lady what uh, what's a certain part of a gun is. Oh, is that the shoulder thing that goes up? You know, and then there's people that just don't understand what a firearm is. They don't I understand like, how I it like works. Like the California senator with the thousand round a so second the, ghost gun. The ghost. Yes. This is a ghost gun with a thousand round clip. He the guy the guy had absolutely no clue as to what he was holding. He didn't even know. Good. You know, and I I'm a hearts and minds guy. You know, I, I'm, I'm out to win hearts and minds of the public. And the way, one way to do that is, just, is literally it's education. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I also, like I said, work for a suppressor manufacturer. 95% of suppressor sales is education because you have to dispel, I didn't think you could own one of them. Well, you can. Mm-hmm. You can, can. You can't legally. You could ever since 1935. It just cost you an extra $200. $1935, $200 is prohibitive. Sure. Now it's still a good bit of money, but it's still more a little bit more of a nuisance than what was considered an entire year's salary at the time. So I'm, I'm going to lob a question out there since you guys are, are, are definitely more knowledgeable about firearms than I am. You know, we've talked in the past about how guns just scare the snot out of people. I mean, it, it, there are people in this world that that will never touch one, will never fire one. And there's such a fear that that, that they they put on top of firearms. Why is that? I blame Hollywood. OK. Police partially. I blame Hollywood. I blame the fact there's lack of education. Like they used to teach gun safety in schools. They don't teach gun safety in schools anymore. You know, no, no people don't understand what a firearm is. They don't know what it's capable of. They think if you just sit it right here, it may go off and start shooting people. They think bullets are heat seeking. You know, that's not how this works. You know, this is uh, there's the the amount of ignorance regarding it because then you you go watch. Uh, a movie that has, you know, t- miserable firearms handling, you know, like a Lark, like one of the Lark Croft Tomb Raider films. Anyone you want. Yeah. Well, I, well, there's a few that are actually okay. I'm a big fan of the John Wick movies. Yeah. Because yeah. those are legit gunfights. John Wick actually trained with Taron Butler for the second film as a three-gun shooter. If you see anybody, like, in a retention-ready position, they're, they're okay. Yeah, but, John Wick, in the yeah. first movie, he was using a technique called center axis relock, which right. is, like, unless you're shooting somebody three feet away in the face, it doesn't really work all that well. However, in the movie, he was shooting people three feet away in the face, so it worked fine. Um, but the, the those movies, Counter Reeve is actually a really, really good gun handler. Um, turns out, someone, Johnny Depp is actually really good with guns, as huh. it turns out. Never um, paid attention. Yeah, he, that's not... 
um, that's something I, I learned through some friends. But yeah, Johnny Depp actually is a, is a pretty good gun handler. Uh, one of the reasons that Brad Pitt brought Angelina Jolie her own, her own personal range so she would go to quit hanging out with Taryn Butler because Taryn's <laughs> Mr. Smooth, you know. So um, the, there are Hollywood people that actually that actually can handle guns, uh-huh. but there are also people out there. There's a lot of guns and misconceptions. You, know, you shoot somebody in the chest and he flies backwards, or you know, there's there was there was an episode of. Uh, MacGyver that sticks in my brain. There's one reason MacGyver quote, he quote, never used guns. That was one of his, his, his ethos. And there was a firearm malfunction that they showed an episode of when he was a kid, which is why he never used guns. And that malfunction that took place would not have happened. That gun would not have gone off. It was a Smith & Wesson, and the hammer was cocked, and the gun dropped, and the gun went off, and there are safety mechanisms built into those revolvers to keep that from happening. Sure. You know, so there's a lot of mis- – there are so many misconceptions about it, and part of it's Hollywood. Part of it is – and but you know what? I like that people are afraid of guns. If you don't know what you're doing, don't touch it. I completely agree with you there. I, I don't think everybody should have one. I used to live in Kennesaw, Georgia. Remember what they're famous for? The handgun law where every household had to have one. That is correct. That was I back in the mid-80s. That. Wow. I can tell you, I, I was in high school when they enacted the law. Uh, the crime rate disappeared. I mean, you went from having crime to speeding tickets. Uh, just overnight, the crime rate disappeared. But... I, at the same time, I'm a little leery of I've got relatives that are terrified of handguns and I've offered to, you know, hey, if you want to go to the range, I'll, I'll let you fire one. But if you're scared of them, then I'd rather you not even touch it. There, there are people out there that shouldn't drop, shouldn't have cars or pocket knives. So you represent you know, those folks. Yeah. Yes. I'm, I'm, well, <laughs> the, the safety, uh, you know, job security, I suppose. Yeah. But yeah, there's uh, I've, I've actually been involved in a couple of cases after since I retired. It was a couple of negligent homicide cases sure. where people mishandling firearms and shot somebody it's like this person didn't know what they were doing so you sh- you know if any- this is my, my my recommendation for anyone when you're buying a firearm because everybody wants to buy gadgets and gear and holsters and all this stuff this is what you do this is what if you want to learn if you want to learn how to protect yourself you want to learn how to defend your family you want to learn how to do it correctly this is what you do you go buy a glock 19 you go buy a thousand rounds of ammunition and you go get a class and a decent holster that's what you do you go get a class and you learn how to run the gun. You learn how to fight with a pistol. Mm-hmm. And it's and that's how you get your mindset right. And once your mindset is right, then you don't need gear and you don't need widgets. And you don't need stuff that is just going to get in your way. What you then have is a tool set that is in your head and on your belt to be able to protect yourself and your family. Right. Now, one of the big conce- misconceptions that I've encountered a lot of times is there's I don't I don't get this. There's people feel that one particular caliber of ammunition is deadlier, scarier than another particular caliber of ammunition. Somebody getting shot in the right spot with a 22 long rifle round is just as dead as somebody getting shot with a 40 caliber. Yes or no? Correct. Well, that's, I mean, that, what I tell people, because I carry a SIG P220 45, people are like, okay, everybody with an, everybody who ever got shot with a dad millimeter, get up. You're not dead anymore. You know, or 45. I don't have that debate with folks because, you know, are you carrying a 45 or a 9? Yes. Then, then you are on the path. Sure. You know, now there are, there are guns that you should not carry. There's, I'm not a big fan of 40 cal because the recoil impulse is too high and your second shot is is miserable. The FBI got away from that gun for that reason. reason. There, everybody's scores went up when they switched back to nines. Uh, there was That was a knee-jerk reaction to the Miami shootout, which is an incredibly long story that bore everybody here but me. The... Uh, it, does it come down to carry a gun? Yes, but you should carry a gun of an appropriate caliber and the right size, et cetera. But however, I have seen, I've worked crime scenes and worked firearms. I've worked every shooting in the last 21 years in the, in the Baton Rouge area. I, I went either across my desk or somebody else's desk in the room with me. 
So I've seen them all. I've seen the deadliest caliber in this in this, state, this city for 10 years, 15 years was 380. Mm-hmm. Shot out of a Lorsen that cost $95 at a pawn shop. You know, is that going to last? Gun going to last for 100 rounds? Probably not. But there's they, they, they last for six. <laughs> but they but they they stacked bodies like cordwood. Sure. You know, so then you get to the debate of what is deadlier? What does that even mean? That's not even a real, that's not even a, that's not a metric. There's no metric for deadlier. There's not a metric for, you know, now there's a dead, there's a metric for how many foot pounds of energy can be dumped, but that's going to be ammunition dependent. Penetration, expansion, things like that. What it comes down to is get a Glock 19, go get some training, you know, and carry good ammo. Um, And then if you want to get into the esoterica from there, then I will be glad to have that conversation <laughs> with you because I, I live in the. Here I also night. live in that esoterica sure. because I'm because I'm a gun because I'm a gun nut. I'm a gun nut. I work in a gun company. We manufacture suppressors and machine guns or grenade launchers and drinking but, accessories. But the industry and look, I'm a. I'm underplaying how much I know about firearms because you guys know far more than I do. But the industry kind of kind of preys on necessity, right? I mean, like like you guys are making suppressors. All right. So 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 the most common question I hear when someone talks about one of those devices and I don't own one. I don't I don't mind people that own them is do you really need it? Like, do you really need us? You know, that's necessity. Yes, you do. Yes. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> ask my audiologist. Yes, right. I should have been using suppressors years ago. So, but the, but the, it doesn't just it doesn't just fall on suppressors. Is my point. It seems like the industry helps helps perpetuate the sales of different toys and gadgets and all that stuff. Correct. Well, the, there's money to be made in accessories. Right. And that goes in any industry. And it goes in the automotive industry. Goes in the computer industry. You make money on the peripherals. Yeah, you know, which I, is, I mean, isn't that why people love ARs? Is because you basically can can customize it is them. And, the and, most configurable rifle ever thought of, except for the 1022. Well, okay, <laughs> but but even so, yeah, there's there's so many things you can do with an AR-15. Is so configurable. So and then people are like, well, you don't need that either. Well, yeah, I do. You know, and so it's the but the industry does because the industry, does, you know, people in the industry to make money. You know, so people are trying to right now. There's sort of a race to the bottom to try to figure out who can make the cheapest AR. And I sure. do not re- recommend buying a cheap AR-15 because you're not going to have a good time. That is going to be what you should, you know, if you should buy one from a reputable manufacturer that costs at least $500. You know, that's because I've seen some of these major manufacturers with those sub $300, sub $400 guns that the pin, the front sight pins are in backwards. Like it's, it's the, you know, you're, the gas key's not properly staked. It's it's not good. I mean, I carried an, an A2, M16A2 for a living. And, uh, you know, when you're in the military, you come to realize that, you know, military grade is really a crappy term for anything. But, it's it's uh, the term for lowest bidder. <laughs> lowest bidder, exactly. Well, it's even though, even then, though, the ones that we carried, I mean, they are prone to jamming. One grain of sand will ruin your day if, if it's in the right part of those things. I can only imagine what a $300 throwaway one looks like today. I mean, uh, correct. I mean, the, the, and if you buy a rifle, take it through a class. Yes. Go shoot with it. Yes. Shoot it a lot. Shoot it in the mud. Shoot it in the funk, you know, um, or buy an AK. You know, those are, you know, those you, are. You can't kill those. But well, like we, like we manufacture AK-47. That's what's one of the things we make ARs as well. You know, those are, those are all great options. You want a bigger caliber? Get an AR-10 or get an FNFAL. Sure. FNFAL is right arm of the free world. Has been for, you know, what, 40 years. Yep. You know, so those are, um, those are, 
in that race to the bottom, though, there's a lot there's a lot more harm than done. Sure. But there's that started maybe 15, 20 years ago, whenever the firearms industry realized that most people, the first purchaser of a firearm is not going to put more than 500 rounds to that firearm. They're going to buy it. They're going to go to the range with it one time. They're going to stick it in a safe or a shelf. So you're going to see their car and it's never going to get shot. Then there became a problem because the secondary market. Because sooner or later, that guy might need an extra 100 bucks, mm-hmm. And he's going to sell it to a gun nut. And that guy's going to shoot it. And he's oh, going to yeah. shoot it. And then it's going to break. And then he's gonna get, you're going to get a bad reputation on your firearm because the uh, because it's like, well, I bought this gun off this guy. He only shot it a few times. I shot it a couple hundred rounds, and it snapped. And something went wrong. Mm-hmm. You know? And so the lifetime guarantee or not that you had, those, those things became... They've sort of been fixed to the industry, but they were there for a while. Sure. So, and those are, that's not a, that's not a way to run a business, especially when you're dealing with something that can kill somebody. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Uh, I know you know a lot about firearms and about firearms law, you know, with all the work you've done in the past. In all of your years of, of, of doing any firearms, um, you know, firearms forensics, am I using the correct term or is it firearms the, identification? Firearms examination, yeah. yeah. Okay, firearms examination. Have you encountered any cases or many cases where the, you know, the, the assailant, the guilty body and the, the guilty person in this was a licensed gun owner or concealed carry owner or anything in that regard? It, it did occur, but most of the time we actually don't get in. Like usually I just get the gun. Okay. And I don't really would know as opposed to who had it or where it's like the ATF trace on it would usually go to somebody else, you know, so I wouldn't necessarily always encounter that. However, you know, that's, I just bring it up because a lot of people say, well, you don't need a concealed carry. You know, why do we need all these people with concealed carry guns out there? That's just putting more guns in the street. And this is just my personal opinion. I don't have stats to back it up, but I'm fairly sure most of the people with concealed carries are not the ones running around. committing no, gun I, I, can, I can tell you concealed carry permit holders. I wouldn't dare to try to give you a number, but those are not people committing crimes. Franz is grinning. You know, the irony is that the concealed carry people don't make society nervous. No. It's the open carry people that make society and, nervous. And I don't even understand. Well, that's just me. I don't understand what. But think about, think about. Open your- carry people are going to get shot first. Yeah, yeah this yeah, is true. But- I like those guys because they're going to get shot yeah. first but while I'm about, returning fire. But this think about true. all your friends that are not in the firearm world. Sure. If they were to encounter someone open carrying a firearm on uh, on a hip holster. Happens all the time. They lose their minds. Yeah, but yes. what if that's just a detective that's got his badge clipped in the front uh, where you don't see it? Well, I, I mean, mean, I'm. I'm just telling you, but a concealed, and the thing I like about concealed carries, by the way, guys, is I like the healthy respect I have for humanity in general to where I don't mess with people because I don't know who's a concealed carry person. It's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, so, absolutely. That's, and, that's, a, that's a good philosophy. Yeah. You know, and, we're, and we're so close to constitutional carry here in the state of Louisiana, and I hope we can get there soon. That's a, I think that would be a, a good thing for us to have, especially. I mean, I know it would uh, people deals deals issues with reciprocity and what have you, but you know, I, I believe that we're very. I mean, we're this close to it with some of the laws that have been passed recently, anyway, uh, as far as having a constitutional carry. For those who don't know, constitutional carry means you don't have to have a permit to have a concealed carry uh, to, to carry a concealed firearm. Uh, so that's uh, yeah, in Louisiana. We're in an interesting position where it is not illegal to open carry. It is not. There is no law against it. It's However, just a bad idea. it's pretty well frowned upon. 
Well, you, it, you're going you're going to have a bad time. Like That's I right. said before, you know, like there's going to be uh, there's there, you can always get charged with disturbing the peace. Sure, that is not that is not outside the realm of possibility. If you go in and create a st- you know, like, there's issues there. Um, obviously, law enforcement is not a huge fan of it typically. No. So I'm usually on the side of, you know, that guy's probably going to get shot first. Yep. So, so so we would be remiss not to talk about this since we are talking about concealed carry. So I'm going to ask the, throw the question out for both of you guys. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if I have a concealed carry permit, where can I carry and where can I not? And if I have an open carry permit in Louisiana, this is in Louisiana, where can I carry, where can I not? Well, the class that you take whenever you take get a concealed carry permit actually goes explicitly into right. with detail where you can carry and where you can't. Yep. There is, you know, there's it's what bars, churches, bars, churches, daycare, government buildings, daycares, um, or something maybe yeah, schools. Um, yeah, I mean, and it it my my instructor even legitimately told us you know everybody has war stories. His was he was picking his his daughter up from school one day because the wife called, hey, can you pick up you know daughter from school? Okay. He goes over to school and he goes to step out of the car and he reaches and realizes, oh, I'm, so he just, yeah, I'm, I'm well, carrying. Yeah, so let me, just, let me just <laughs> shut the door and wave for her to come to the car. You know, uh, that kind uh, of although thing. the concept of concealed carry is theoretically, you should be able to go in there and not be, as long as you're not brandishing, you should be fine. Uh, he's probably worried about printing or something like that. Yeah, so. you know, and, the, oh, but, and we should explain what printing is. Well, printing is whenever you wear a, a shirt that is usually a solid color and then the outline of your gun gets seen through it through your holster. Mm-hmm. If in case you're not wearing a proper holster, you know, um, I, I, I do a lot of education about holsters. There's a lot of ways to teach people. There's, there's a couple of holster manufacturers that I pretty much insist people use. And there's a couple of holster manufacturers that if you buy one, I'm going to throw in the trash in front of you. <laughs> we'll get with that off offline because yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in hearing that. Well, come by the shop. I'll, I'll take okay, care of you. Perfect. So before, before we wrap this up on firearms, I want to hear you guys talk a little bit about forensics and firearms because because part of this episode is about crime scenes and, and forensics. And so, so Charles, tell us a little bit about some of the things that the misconceptions when it comes to firearms and, and crime scenes and then the things that just absolutely drive you guys crazy. Well, and when you're dealing, there, there are things that you can tell from a firearm at a crime scene. From crime, you can match, you can identify the cartridge case, and you can identify the bullet back to the firearm. Those are things that are possible, uh, and oftentimes even probable, but they're not all the time going to take place. Well, you, you know, so that just because you have a bullet doesn't mean it's going to be able to be identified back to the firearm itself. Like for instance, the uh, the the case, the really sad case over the the two uh, graduate students over off of. Uh, West Garfield, I believe it was, and uh, they the bullets from that case were not identifiable back to the firearm. We have we did get a firearm six months later. I don't really think it was a gun. You know, it was someone someone came up with off the street, and I tried to identify it. And I just don't think it was the right firearm. Uh, but even if I had the right firearm, I don't think I could have made the identification. The bullets were in just terrible condition. They were just they were soft lead. They were very torn up. They're torn up by the process and the autopsy. The actual projectile. The actual yeah. bullet itself. Yeah. Um, one of the things that we can tell, a lot of people don't realize, is, you know, you talk about how far away someone was when a gunshot goes, you know, like within five or six feet, sometimes you can tell how far away a gunshot took place. If you have the, the, the skin or the, you know, the, the clothing and things like that. And if you can prevent those things from being destroyed by EMS or those uh, or the, the emergency room, which a lot of times they get cut off the body and just pitched, you know, those are those are those can be that can be frustrating. It's like, man, if I had that, I could tell how far away this gunshot was. Right. Are you telling me that you can't do 
what he does, what Bruce Wayne does in Dark Knight, where he takes he takes a bullet from a wall and, and he gets a fingerprint. I, and he gets I, a fingerprint off. Of I it. was I was screaming at the television, like it. Does, I mean, that don't give me don't give me started on the Dark Knight because in my opinion, that guy's not even really Batman, but. That's just, I mean, yes. Well, I, shots but, fired. but here's the thing, shots though. Fired. <laughs> there, there are people out there that think, man, why aren't you guys getting fingerprints? Pull your pocket off knife of out and dig that yeah, thing out. Oh, of for crap. Well, the, well, and the, a lot of one of the things that they've done on television, and actually, there's been some. We talked about this before the show. Uh, DNA off of cartridge cases. There's actually some methodologies that are being developed to actually be able to increase the possibility of getting DNA off of actual fired cartridge case. There was a paper written two years ago out of Southern California that, that talked about what was one of these methodologies. And I've always just told people to, that what if we just sonicated it in phosphate for saline and then just evaporate it down. The DNA people never wanted to listen to me and it's about whatever. Whoop. And so, uh, but there was, but it was a paper out of Southern California that actually came out. It was a similar technique that they were actually able to, they were doing some work on, ident- on getting de- good DNA from cartridge cases that were fired. And, you know, so there are parts of that cartridge case that, I mean, it, may, it doesn't get quite hot enough to denature those proteins. Wow. And so you can actually get the, that DNA, at least there's a possibility of it. I think it's still an experimental technique. Sure. But uh, it's, that's, that's just something. So I've always used the analogy of if you've ever lit a candle that's got dust and dirt all over it dust and, you, in the wind. and some maybe some hairs on it and you light that candle and you watch there be a wave of flame that destroys essentially and combusts all the material that's on top of it. I've always used the analogy, at least when I was a prosecutor, about now think about that on top of a, a projectile that is getting you know, going through a firearm at, at a, what, what's the temperature? You know, it, 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 a lot, you know, yeah, it's, you know, it's, you know it's 700 plus degrees. Science, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> legally <laughs> unfiltered science. Well, I mean, but, but these are good points because again, it goes full circle to the CSI effect of, of we want that world where, where Bruce Wayne, albeit has unlimited money and resources, can put a, fu- a bullet back together and, and fingerprint it. And the bad guy know that he's going to do it. Right. That was that was the tw- that was the twist on that one. Uh, yeah, that lost my mind at that scene. Anyway, no, the uh, but when it, in firearms forensics, there's, you know, the there are things that we can't tell. You know, we can't tell who pulled the trigger. Right. You know, we can figure out. If we get DNA from the firearm, we can maybe say whose DNA was on it. That doesn't necessarily mean that it pulled the trigger. One of the other misconceptions, and we talked about this recently, there's the the, the gunshot residue on hands. Right. That we, um, you know, that is not the magic bullet that a lot of prosecutors or defense want it to be. It's a highly transferable substance, correct? It's, it's, it's so tra- it's better for me. It's better for me that you don't do the test because I can say, why didn't you even try? Which goes full circle. But if you do the test and He's you're like, to tell you why yeah, they're trying, yeah, then you're going to, the, if you do the test and it's inconclusive, you can give a whole bunch of reasons why it's inconclusive, which, which may or may not include my guy didn't fire the firearm, you know? Right. So, or, or if we, we don't do the test, like outside of six hours, that test does not need to be performed. Like you can't, like it doesn't, there's no point in doing it. There's, if you read the instructions in the, the kits themselves, they actually are very, very, uh, thorough as to the circumstances upon which these tests should be performed. The downside to that is what you get a lot of times is people you actually use that as an interrogation technique is when they're performing these kits. Oh, we're going to go send this off to the lab. We're going to sit here and we're going we're gonna to have to let the lab bother with it and we're going to see if that guy's going to sit there and sweat or if he's going to give it up. You know, so that's... 
However, if the test is performed and then is the proper follow-ups are not done, then there's issues on the flip side of that. Sure. So it, there's that, those are one of the biggest misconceptions. And it's, and it's one of those things, the more we learn about that science, the more that it is going to be coming in the question. You know, you, if I shook your hand and I just came from the firearms range and then you get, you know, the, the, your hand gets swabbed a little bit later, you may come up positive. So the best case scenario is matching a projectile and or the casing to a firearm found in a defendant's possession. That's that, that is best case that, scenario. Best case scenario, you have the firearm itself that you find in the victim, in, in the, sorry, you find the foot. Best case scenario, you have the firearm itself found in the suspect's back pocket, and then you have the bullet from the autopsy and the cartridge case from the crime scene, and all of those get identified back to the firearm in and of itself. That is 100%. And then also at the crime scene that you have the suspect's fingerprint and the victim's blood. That is the that is y'all's worst nightmare. So right, <laughs> that, like y'all, yeah, we call that a plea deal. That that's going to be the plea deal, you know. And then that's that's what you're gonna that's you're, you're not going to beat that one, you know. So that's that's, that's when you're going to go to plea deal. Like I said, there everything's a spectrum. So then the other end of the spectrum is like they had the that case at LSU. You have two guys with very badly damaged bullets. They're from a revolver, so there's no cartridge cases. And there's no DNA found at the crime scene. So you've got what we like to call diddly hump. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's your there's your spectrum of possibility. And somewhere in the between those, we have to do the best we can. Sure. And you guys have to do the best you can. Sure. And so does the forensics guys. Everybody's trying. Hopefully, everybody's putting forth their best effort. And at the end of the day, the right answer comes out. So I've, I've, I've got a question I feel compelled to ask you since we're, we're recording this. And, and, and I've wondered it since we, we did an episode on 3D printing of firearms. Is is the... Yeah. Is, is, yeah. So 3D printed firearms that fire projectiles, is that going to be something that you can analyze in a lab? Yeah, it'll be fine. It'll yeah, be, as long as you have the firearm, right? If you, if, if, firearm. If you, now, a 3D firearm that self-destructs when you, it goes off one time, right. that's, that's going to be problematic. Sure. You know? right, right, right. However, the uh, the marks that are going to be left from, if, if, if there are marks left on the bullet and cartridge case from that 3D firearm and the pieces can be found, you know, it's a tool mark just like anything else. But I would think now the way tool markings work, the harder substance scratches the softer one, right? Correct. So then when the projectile is going out of the barrel and it's a, a hot lead projectile going out of a plastic barrel or resin or whatever that's being used in the printer, it seems like you're going to have trouble there because the barrel is actually going to be damaged on it, the way it, out. It, pro- it very well maybe, but then that, that allows for maybe you cut the barrel open and you start looking at the stria that are on the barrel. I don't know. I've never seen yeah. one. I, I, I have never developed that methodology because I never saw one. Sure, sure. And and it's not ever going to get used in a crime, so we're not going to worry about it. But well, that's that's the. I mean, that's the well, well, but then you fast forward to the fact that now we can three D print in metal. Oh yeah, you know. So then you're going to have it work like a regular firearm. They don't sell that one at Best Buy. They do the plastic ones at Best Buy. Well, they actually. The, but the, the the future of prototyping is so amazing these days. Oh yeah, you know the ability to literally grow something out of metal. But I do agree that the crimes are going to happen with the hundred dollar whatever the gun was you were telling I, us I, about. You know what? I don't think happen. I, the criminals yeah. aren't that interested. No. Criminal, criminals are way too lazy to get those. Oh, it takes like forty hours to make one. Yeah, I mean, they're not. They're gonna go. They're gonna go get one from a pawn it's, it's shop. It's not like or, Domino's where you can have one yeah, delivered. They're gonna have somebody go get their girlfriend to go buy one, and get a, on a straw purchase on a forty four seventy three, and that's what's gonna happen. That's what happens all the time. You know that they're gonna go get a, a Smith and Wesson SW nine VE for two hundred ninety nine dollars at Academy, and their girlfriend's gonna go pick it up or whoever. What's, what's the Ruger? The LC nine or something. The LC nine like or the, everywhere. Or, or do we have trap queens here in, in Baton Rouge? You know, that's a. 
like a trap house, like with a house where like everybody, like all the different businesses, like underworld businesses are being run. You know, like one guy's cutting oh, hair, one yeah. guy's cooking chicken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they're we, selling we drugs and stereos. You know, and like there's a there's a trap we lord and he has his trap queen. Yes. You know, so I mean, you guys are a little more plugged uh, into that environment than I am. They're here. They're here. You know, however, then, then that's another place where you might get an undercover, like like a like a, a black market firearm. Um. Well, I mean, the aside from the plastic guns, then how <laughs> we we talked about how you can identify the 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 um the bullet in the casing. I mean, is there anything else that can match? Aside from DNA, is there anything else that can match the gun itself to no, the individual? Not really. Not really at all. I mean, basically, you can identify the cartridge case and the bullet back to the firearm, and then you've got the uh, uh, the firearm itself, and if, if, if the firearm is found. Now, there's obviously uh, some of the, like like for instance, there was uh, Philip House, who was at the, the class. Uh, he, I actually, they didn't have a firearm in one of his cases. Mm-hmm. However, he had an unfired cartridge that had been cycled through the firearm, and it had left the ejector and extractor marks. Okay. And I was able to identify the cartridge case to the cartridge that was unfired. And uh, that was uh, that actually worked out well for his case. I don't remember the final resolution of it. But so they say, okay, this the, and at this location where the guy racked the firearm that we have on video, mm-hmm. you know, and then we have that he shot at somebody later for some other reason. Uh, oh, here was a fun one. Like uh, Edward Tower in Washington, he killed four people, including uh, like his five-year-old daughter sure. or her five-year-old daughter and with, a, with an SKS. We never found the gun. But I found a cycling mark on cartridges that were at his house. And that he wasn't even supposed to have ammunition. He was a convicted villain. And I was able to identify the cycling marks from the one of those cartridge cases to a cartridge case from the crime scene. Huh. And so he went to jail for the rest of his life. I was going to say, because of the way of an S, and without getting goofy, but the way SKSs are loaded, I would think there's all kinds of marks on those. It, it, well, in a lacquered cartridge case, a lot of times marks, they're resilient to marks. Yeah. And those, that lacquer has a tendency to, to not take marks very well. But this was an ejection type mark where it kind of hit the dust cover on the way out. And so that left a really big dent with this big mark. But now there was 11 of these cartridge cases at his house. Only one of them had this mark. And only one of them at the crime scene had the mark. So we all, I mean, like we he liked to walk. I mean, I don't think he would have walked, but this was very, very good evidence, but it was only on one of each. Sure. And it was one of those, I remember the detective looking over my shoulder and said, man, is this good enough for an arrest? I said, we're going to, this is good enough for conviction. And it was actually a first degree murder trial. We did not get the death penalty on it, but we did get a life sentence um, for Mr. Washington. That was, uh, you know, the, so, so you don't necessarily even have to have the firearm, but you have to have something to compare it to. You know, can, you, so. can you talk a little bit about the reliability of shell casing pattern? I know we've had a case before when I was a prosecutor where uh, I, think, I think the other side tried to make a big deal about the, the pattern of, of shell casing placement on the, the cartridge ejection pattern. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And then we, you looked at me and said, I wouldn't go there or something like that. And so I didn't go there. Um, but I've heard things about the, I hate to use the word unreliability of, of anal- analyzing that. And I'm, and I'm not talking about Every time. I'm just talking about in general. In general, don't touch it. Uh, I remember we did a test on one particular firearm because they asked us about this. So we hauled the trap outside of the crime lab and we shot 10 rounds. I I videotaped it and marked the cartridge cases as they landed in the grass because we did it in the grass so they wouldn't bounce around on the concrete. Mm -hmm. You know, and so I marked them and they did 10 rounds holding the gun straight out like this, like, you know, not shooting it urban style, but shooting it straight like you're supposed to. And bang, 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 bang. And there was a clock pattern. It went one, two, three, four, five. And the last one hit the guy on the top of the head. Like they, they did not land in the same place ever. Now it's very, it's fire. Some firearms will put them all in the same place every time. Mm-hmm. 
uh, this firearm did not. Uh, it, it, there's so many factors going on in a firearm and a four degree tilt of the, uh, uh, of the firearm in one direction or the other will lead itself to a completely different place that that gets deposited. And shootings are dynamic events. So you can't expect somebody to stand there with a weaver stance in a shooting, bang, bang, and have it go. So that you don't get the reproduction. And if it's in concrete, all bets are off because they're going to hit concrete and they're going to go skip and jump and move. And so you're going to get a dispersion there. And I've done the research. I mean, I've, I've actually been to ranges with different firearms and shot them and, and on the concrete and see where they end up. And it's... Firearms mostly eject to the right and a little bit forward, mostly. But you know what? You've got a, some guns eject over your left shoulder. There's a couple guns out there that do that. So it's not something that, But it's one of those misconceptions, yeah, right? I, I would, yeah. So I mean, uh, sometimes people are like, hey, what, what, where was he standing from the cartridge case pattern ejection? Well, I can tell you a zone maybe, but maybe we shouldn't go there because maybe it's, you know, if it, now if it's in a car, you know, there's, there may be some discussions that can take place about, you know, was, it the, was he in the front seat or the back seat or the right side of the car, left side of the car? There, there's some things that maybe can be determined. Right. However, it, each case has to be addressed on this individual basis and chances are you might get your heart broke because it's not going to work out. Well, we're just about out of time for this episode, Charles. We definitely appreciate you coming on here. I, I, I definitely anticipate you being a guest again. There's a lot of things we didn't have time to talk about. Um, and I know Richard is, is looking at me kind of with this this grin on his face because I know what he wants to talk about. Um, so we're definitely going to have you back on here. Um, that's about it for this episode of Legally Unfiltered. Again, this is Franz Borkart along with uh, attorney Richard Sprinkle and Charles Watson. Uh, and Charles, what we'll do is we will put your contact information on social media posts uh, when we make this episode live so that if people want to get in touch with you about firearms or about your expertise or maybe just about getting some cool stuff from your uh, from your neck of the woods, they can they can find you. You're heavily involved on uh, social media, so you're not very hard to find, right? Like the man said i ain't hard to find you're gonna have to elaborate on one thing i heard firearms i heard suppressors i heard grenade launchers which i really loved my 203 in the marine corps did but you like heard did drink you, did, wear. did you like your mark 19 uh oh the mark 19 is the best party favor there ever is i mean you talk about wrecking somebody's weekend well we have one or, oh, or a few so you are kidding no no we manufacture. can't afford i can't afford the ammo richard, to shoot it but richard anyway. sprinkle just made a, a friend for life here guys oh my gosh <laughs> but yeah but but yeah we also do make drinking accessories we make uh shot glasses that, that are actually 40 caliber cartridge cases oh nice it's the same the same program we use to make our 40 millimeter ammunition okay. but we just hog it out a little bit more and then we get it uh food safe anodized okay and then we you can freeze it because it's aluminum and then you can pour uh, like alcohol into it and it'll freeze like it'll instantly chill a shot um, I cannot believe we're talking about alcohol and belt-fed machine guns that fire grenades. We'll, we'll, we'll break out. Legally we'll, we'll break. Oh my God, you, what a party. If you guys break out cigars, then we'll call the ATF and thank them for the idea. I'm telling you, we just have the whole thing. Have a good day, folks. <laughs> <laughs> the views and opinions expressed in Legally Unfiltered do not constitute legal advice. If you would like legal advice on the topics that we've discussed, send us money. That's right. Go ahead and retain us. Do not, kids, try this at home.